life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. Hello everyone, I'm Jan Murray, the hostess for Life After That, and this is part two of Bobette Rose's story, and we are welcoming back her daughter Carrie McDonald and her grandson Wyatt, who also was a helpful caregiver during Bobette's time with ALS, and they're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that journey and what's happened since then. So welcome back again, Carrie and Wyatt. Uh, would you like to kind of review or share some other things uh, that you started talking about in the previous episode before we go forward with the after ALS? Sure. Um, I think I can add just kind of from the time that my, my mom was no longer able to walk um, our journey through all the devices and equipment and the scramble to get them. Um, I think overall, the first thing I want to say about that is there is a not enough financial assistance to help those who have ALS. You have to so quickly scramble for all the equipment that you need. It is very expensive. Um, pretty much about the only thing the insurance will cover is your wheelchair <laughs> and not even all of it. Mm -hmm. And and then they fight you to, to even get it because you have to be a certain level of disabled. Are you talking about the electric chair? The no, chair? the the actual permobile wheelchair. Mm. Yeah. We and actually fought for my husband's. He had had his chair for three and a half years, couldn't walk, only could use one arm and one hand. And they literally tried to take his wheelchair back. Wow. And yeah. They, it, ours was ordered and it came in and um, then the insurance kept denying it. And I do have to give a shout out to Norco in Boise, Idaho, because they said, we will not come take it back if we have to cover it ourselves. And, um, I just thought that was so amazing. And then of yes. course get covered, but yeah, that was a good day because I was so stressed. How are we going to take it away now? And, but, but we had to scramble for ramps online that took a while, a wheelchair van, just so we could still get out. I mean, we yeah. bars. I, and... I remember too. I had to, me, my brother, and my mom together. We built the ramp, and it was it wasn't super difficult, but it was it was because there were you can't buy them brand new; they're too expensive. Yeah, and right. Paying, paying someone else, you know, I don't care. I don't care remember how much it costs, but then you got to pay someone else to set it up unless you can do it yourself. So unless you have two, you know, nineteen twenty-two 20 year old, year old sons, boys that'll can... build it for you. And I do have to add that there Without was a arguing. there was a couple arguments where they were actually wrestling in the yard. <laughs> I know how to build it better than you. Do. I look out the window and they're wrestling in the yard. And not, not they too, got built. We also, I also, with my brother, we had to fly out to Arizona. Yeah. To pick up the van. Yeah, it was drive a, that it was a fifteen hours affair. home too. So so we kind of went through. Um, the various stages, you know, where you get your wheelchair and you can still go out and we would get my mom in the wheelchair and we'd go to the zoo with the family or would, um, 
we would go through drive-throughs. My mom loved Chick-fil-A and <laughs> um, we just, you know, there was, there was a period of time where we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then it just got to the point where it was too exhausting and, you know, you just slowly, um, kind of slide down the hill, but, but we had the lift chair and we had the, uh, the bed that lifted up as many listeners may know with ALS, you can't lay them flat. They can't breathe. Um, and so, you know, you, they've got to be in a recline to sleep. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my thing there is, is there's just not enough funding. And if there's any way we can ever help promote more funding for equipment, um, and, and assistance, um, you know, people who live on second stories, um, we were lucky to, I just don't know how some people accommodate. I don't either. I don't, I I really don't. And, but organizations like the Steve Gleason foundation is wonderful. They helped us some. Yeah, they they helped us with the with the wheelchair a little bit, and then also the Evergreen chapter here in the Northwest Pacific Northwest um, gave us a, a small stipend for some equipment. Um, since I'm kind of talking about the different stages, when I'll just interject this, my thoughts are kind of all over the place. It's okay. When we first got diagnosed, when she first got diagnosed. I kind of felt like we were on a train that is going to crash. We don't know when it's going to crash. We just know that it's going to crash and we know there's going to be survivors and casualties. And that's kind of how it felt in the beginning of just the scramble of getting what we needed and the physicians lined up and all of that. And then as time went on caring for someone with ALS, I kind of felt like it changed to you're in the top of a building um, and you need, and you get to enjoy the view up there. And then at some point it's time to get on the elevator and you have to go down to the next floor and then you get to explore that floor and you, you try to make the best of that floor, but there's no going back to the top. And then at some point it's time to get on the elevator and go to the next floor until eventually you get to the ground floor and you have to exit the building, the pals and the cows, the, the patient with ALS and the caregiver with ALS. And you go into separate buildings and you go back up the elevator. And I think, you know, that, that to me is what it changed and it could be a beautiful thing. And you just had to find the joy and the beauty on each floor and know that you could endure the next time it was time to get in the elevator. I, I love that analogy. I've never heard it put that way. I, I totally identify with that runaway train part and also rushing at the top to live life and do as much as you can pack in while you still can. And uh, then you have the loss. And I think that's one thing I always like to convey uh, to people who might be listening that are in our world, aren't in the ALS world that, you know, unfortunately that elevator is slowly going down the whole time. You're, yeah. you're experiencing usually loss of some sort every single day. Yeah. Um, sometimes you skip a floor or two, I'd like to say. Yes, Wh- I think that's very true. Yeah. And and the elevator, how long you stay, you could stay on one floor much longer than on the next floor. Um, and so I've counseled a lot of people who um, have just that I've met online and things 
because I can see their deer in the headlights and they're on the train. And I, and I've told them, take a big, deep breath, you know, have your hour in the morning where you kick and scream and yell, but then get back to work and, and look for the silver lining, look for the beauty. Because if you go to your new floor and all you are that whole time you're on that floor is I, I, I'm not on the top floor anymore. You're wasting time. And hard as it is, it only goes in one direction and you gotta, you gotta look for the silver lining. Uh, that, uh, and I think I may say this in every episode. I don't know because it's what stuck with me from my husband. He was always a very positive person. Now he would break down occasionally. I think he broke down less than three times in those years with me, but his thing was keep on keeping on smile, be happy. Um, yeah. and, and a man uh, visited him in the hospital one time when he had to go in for things like his GI system was shutting down. I can't remember. There were so many. I literally can't remember now. And I remember, though, the guy asked him, Bill, why do you always smile? You can't talk. You can't uh, you can't eat because he just found out he had to get a feeding tube. That's the one thing we did do in VASA was the feeding tube. You can't eat. You can't talk. You can't walk. Why are you so happy? I just don't understand. And this was a somewhat of a depressed young man. And Bill spelled out on his little word chart because his eyes were heavily affected. So the eye gaze never worked for him. So he spelled out with his little finger on his chart. uh, What would being mad or sad do for me? He was just like, what would it do for me? I'd rather be happy and make you smile. And that's what he did until right before he died. That's what he did. He smiled. uh, He laughed sometimes and choked, but he laughed and he (laughs) tried really hard to find something to be joyful about every day. And his message to me and our kids was keep on keeping on, be happy, you know, keep just find that silver lining, just like what you're saying right here. So I really um, connect with what you're saying there. And I think actually a lot of people would connect with that because if you let uh, the sadness of it all, it'll overwhelm you every single day. If you don't find that silver lining literally every day so that you can keep going. Wouldn't you yeah. think that's absolutely, you know, uh, just a couple thoughts. Um, I loved what you said about what your husband would say. My, my mom's name ended in E T T E and Bobette. And she would say Bobette, Bob endure to the end. And that was kind of her motto that she was going to endure to the end. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say too, is through this community, which is, I, I tell people, you will not meet finer people than the ALS community because they get it. Yep. They get it in life more than most people. And that is another part of the silver lining is you really truly find out what is important and what isn't. Yes. And um, one of my friends that I have met, um, her name is Brandy and she has ALS and she is in a facility and, and it's away from her family. Um, and anyway, she does this most amazing artwork with her eyes and we've become online friends and, you know, she's very Frank, you know, that's one thing about people with ALS. Most of them will tell you how it really is because, you know, and which is great because it spreads awareness, but she said, if I have to be a decoration in the room, then I'm going to be the most beautiful decoration there is. And I can't tell you how life-changing, Yeah, you know, it's one of those little morsels in life where you go, hmm. oh, mm-hmm. yeah, 
And, you know, you can name those people who've really said something that has really inspired you. And yeah. that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. It so is. yeah, the positivity goes a long way. And uh, my mother did stay very positive. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I know she shed a lot of tears. I think there's that dynamic too. Um, especially when it's a mother, child, child caregiver is, you know, I noticed she would talk to her sisters and I sometimes would stand outside the door and listen because she would tell them things that she needed, how she was feeling or what her needs were that she wouldn't tell me. Cause she was always trying to protect me. Because she I was her mother. Over over. You don't have to protect me. You don't have to protect me. Um, another thing I do want to say is that for those who are going through this process, um, you and I kind of talked about it off camera. Please do not be afraid to use assistive devices. A fall is worse than an assistive device. The assistive device, whether it's a walker or a wheelchair, actually gives you more freedom and safety and longevity. And also, for some reason, that darn hospital bed is just so hard to switch to. And my mom fought that tooth and nail. And then when she finally got to the point where we had no choice, she was actually so relieved. It was so much easier. It was more comfortable. It was, it was easier for the caregivers, me, you know, because you can raise it and lower it. And same thing when the Hoyer lift, she, she fought it. And once we were comfortable, cause it's very scary because they're very vulnerable. Yes you know, they have no control whatsoever and of being in that. And, you know, you're relying on this device to suspend you with gravity. But once, once we did that and got used to it and we did, we would pray down the hallway with her, when the boys would help me get her in and would take her to the living room and <laughs> called it her hammock. And yeah, it, it was. I swung on it a couple of times. Yeah. And also for those in the community, if you get stuck, reach out and say, what do I do about this? Like, you know, we got a lot of hints from our home health care nurse of pull sheets and how to pull the sheet and how to switch the sheet and how to bathroom even and how, how to, save to money. yeah. And, and yeah, even how to save money and how to do things. And, um, there's just so much help in the community to get your questions answered. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a home health aide or a hospice or a doctor or anybody who actually has experience with ALS, it's yeah. kind of rare, although it seems like it's becoming less rare. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have someone that has any knowledge, that's wonderful. And for those who don't have anyone in the medical community, I just really want to encourage them to meet exactly like we have through the online uh, support groups. I mean, before I became uh, a cow, a caretaker of ALS widow, and a part of those groups, I was in the ALS caregivers group. And even though we had family members who had had ALS, um, the family was very private and we really didn't, there wasn't a lot of talking and conversing going on. So I got the majority of my knowledge and my aid through that online private mm -hmm. uh, ALS caregivers group. And I, I just, it makes me sad to think there may be people and I know there are people out there who are going through this alone in the mm -hmm. dark 
without any support from anybody that knows really what's going on. And so anybody listening to this, um, I'm sure Carrie would agree and Wyatt as well, that we would encourage you to get involved with a support group. And if there's not one local that's specific for ALS, then please get on Facebook. The groups are private. Um, You can get on there and talk about anything and ask about anything and get the help that you need. And Uh, I have several dear friends that I've never met. Yeah, and, same here, same here. But yeah, I'm meeting a lot through the podcast. I now. call them, I call them my sisters in in ALS because whether and some have ALS and some are caregivers, but we're all in this. We're one big happy family. Yes, if I'm sorry if you have to join the group, but if you do, there's it's a good good group of people. Yeah, when we're welcoming new people in any of those groups, I'm always like, I'm so sorry to have to welcome you to this group, but welcome and let us know what we can do for you, um, yeah. because. We don't want anybody to have to join our groups, but the fact is, is people do every day. And I, it seems like every day more and more are coming in. And to me, the patients are getting younger. I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of mixed thoughts about ALS and where it's coming from. And I just, I don't consider it a rare disease. I I don't, I just have seen too much of it. I, how can it be rare I can name probably 40 people that have had it. And I'm like, why? (laughs) So, yeah. So um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so as we're transitioning into the after, um, I just want to talk about her passing real quick. It, you know, that's the one thing that is such a huge fear. It is such a huge fear of when it's going to happen. How's it going to happen? And, you know, am I going to be there? Is it going to, is there going to be suffering? Your mind goes to a lot of that. And one thing I did take comfort in is that I noticed on the Facebook groups that everyone said passed with peace and maybe those who didn't, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's a it's different for everybody, but I took comfort in that. And I will say it was a very peaceful Um, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was peaceful. And so don't have those fears. Yeah. Um, And even if it's not peaceful, my husband's was not peaceful. It was actually a very, very difficult, uh, death. And, uh, he had seizures and convulsions, um, mm -hmm. because he had developed an infection and became septic. So there were reasons for it, but it was really horrible. And I literally had to get counseling to deal with what I witnessed and went through. So, but the vast majority of people that I know have exactly what you've said. They've, they've gone yes. to sleep. It's been peaceful. And, um, and with, and, and with assistance of the hospice care team. Oh, of course. Of course. You. So that definitely, you know, hopefully most people can utilize a good hospice care team. Well, um, I, I, uh, first of all, the story about your mom in the last episode and this one, she just sounds like a remarkable person. And she impressed upon you and Wyatt and the rest of your family how to be positive in life and to keep on going and to find that silver lining. And I find that to be very inspirational. So if you don't mind, just spend a couple of minutes or a few minutes talking about after your mom passed and how those ideals perhaps helped you guys to pick up the pieces and move on and and how how you've done that since your mom passed away, what how it changed the dynamics in the house and what you would suggest to other people um, 
for after their ALS journey is over. Do you want to start? Um, <clears throat> kind of like how, or I guess a part of, remember earlier when my mom said um, the running, the running away, runaway train. Right. Scenario, um, I cried. I had a big, long cry, you know, once or twice early on um once while once randomly i remember i kind of just you know it kind of finally suddenly hits you that you know this is terminal there's not much time left mm -hmm. and it's kind of like someone telling you they died right. but they're, they're still there because there's you know it's a long process that right. the, the process of als is a really long process of dying as as harsh as that sounds it's 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 hard but it's true but it's true. Um, the second time I cried was taking care of her. Um, I think I, I think I gave her a bath and, you know, I was like, I washed her feet and that was really, um, opening, you know, uh, cause you just, you just don't think about someday someone having to wash your feet. You know? Right. Um, when she passed away, I felt more relief because seeing how she was in the end just wasn't how she would have wanted to pass away. Right. She would have wanted to live the rest of her days. And I just, I felt relief. I felt like she moved on and, and finally was able to sit at the piano and play again and is able to paint again and able to do all of the things she enjoyed. And I I felt more relief than I felt sad because I, I kind of already was prepared mm -hmm. and, I, and I already felt the loss and the sadness, but I, I felt relief. I felt happy for her. Yeah. And I, I can relate to that as well. I was relieved, but the grief of missing my husband of 34 years really took me down for a while, but I was relieved that he got to be the vivacious human being or whatever we are when we leave here. I felt like in heaven, he's running, he's playing volleyball, he's Absolutely. playing football, he's fishing, he's doing all the things. And he's with our four children. Absolutely. And, you know, and she, and she knows how much I've learned from the experience and how yeah. much we all have learned from the experience yeah. that it, it did. The experience didn't go to waste. That's for sure. Great. I, and I have several, several thoughts. Um, I agree with him when it got down. First of all, I got to say this about my mother. My mother was my best friend. Um, I said in my funeral talk of the 20,000 days that I have lived on the planet, there's probably 20 that I did not speak to my mother. And um, we just talked every day and spent a lot of time together, especially these last years. Um, when we lived in the same town. So I was very, very close to my mother. Um, and then to watch that person that you're so close to, who's literally always been my backbone, watch her wither away and watch roles reverse. Um, I've, I've never lost a child. Um, but I think as a caregiver losing, when you care for someone as if they are a child, um, uh, and, and I don't mean mentally, she kept her, she was, she was, had the mind of a 30 year old, 30 year old, right. bitter end. Um, but 
just, you know, you, you care for them and you're very protective. You're extremely protective of them. And, um, so I think the loss, the first few days, I felt nothing but joy and then reality hit. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're a caregiver 24 seven, you know, now you have to go back to your other life and you're not ready. And I mean, it, it was hard. It has been a hard year. And I, I, I got COVID finally, (laughs) we protected her so much. And then finally I got COVID after her services, got it at her services, which were six weeks later after she had passed away. And I hugged too many people and, um, (laughs) (laughs) and I got really, really, really sick. And I look back and that was probably a good time because I just had to be down and get through that. And then honestly, um, I, I don't know if it's depression or, you know, just the change or whatever, but I really had to work through, um, just lack of motivation. Um, and recently I read that your, your brain actually will shut down to protect you. And I feel like I went through that. I definitely went through the stages of grief. And I, I, that's another thing I would give advice is in ALS, you kind of go through the stages of grief twice, if not more. Yeah. While they're alive. And then after, and in multiple orders and repeats, (laughs) Yeah, you, you, you grieve when you get the news through all those stages. And then really you grieve every floor of every deficit you now have, and then you have to grieve again. And it's different than someone just getting a phone call saying, Oh, this person passed away, which is also very sad, but you've put your whole life Mm -hmm. on hold to take care of this person. And now you got to figure out how one to live without them and two, how to organize and prioritize everything. Yeah. And you forget who you are. You kind of forget who you are. That's, that's what happened to me. I'm like, well, who am I? I was Mrs. Bill Murray for 30, almost 34 years. Who am I? I don't even know what to do anymore. I, and, and with you, you, you were taking care of your mom and she was almost like a child physically to you. So you're, you're 24 seven care. So all of a sudden they're going, I, I get, what you're saying, and you're not even a full year out from that lost. Well, and not only that, and not to get into other things, but my husband is also a four-time cancer survivor. Oh, wow. (laughs) Fighting chronic lymphoma. And both of his times when he has gone down were in between or during that time that we were taking care of her. And so, you know, there was a time, like I said, this young man has helped me not only with my mother, but with my father. So then you get done and, you know, and then you're so behind in everything, Mm -hmm. you know, behind in my business, behind in my house. And I've inherited this other household and you're, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. And, you know, that's the one, a couple things that my mom, I would hear that advice that stuff can keep put out the fires, you know? And so all of her wonderful advice always stuck with me. And I've, I've said to myself often, well, I know exactly what she would say. (laughs) So, and, and that's another thing, silver lining of ALS. I have noticed there's very few questions that I, you know, how, when you lose someone, you're like, Oh, I wish I could ask them. I, there's very few questions I've come across because I asked everything. So well, yeah. you know, you talked about your mind shuts down. I honestly think that's a gift from God. I, I think that first year uh, and most of the people that I've talked to on this podcast so far, 
um, have talked about the same thing. That first year, you're kind of in a fog. Uh, I went through the motions of living. I did my life. I started a new career. I did a lot of things. But honestly, I was in a fog the whole time. And I'm sorry to say you're about to start year two. And it may be different because it wasn't your spouse. But something about year two, it just hits harder. It's almost like that reality really does set in. But um, it's also the year that I really took hold of my life. Something my mother taught me was nobody's going to give you a life. You're going to have to go out there and grab what you want. And uh, that and my husband's voices, her voice and his voice in my head is really what made me get up. So that's usually what I tell people, you know, hang on, hang on tight, bury, bury your head under the quilt if you need to for a little while, but don't get stuck. Don't stay in your house all the time. Don't, don't get stuck. To me, if you get stuck, you're not going to do well. You have to make yourself get up and go and do things. And uh, I would say you guys started going through this in the pandemic and some people started recovery in the pandemic. And that had to be super hard in that isolation time. I never stayed at home, even when we were in so-called lockdown. I was in my car going out to a the county, what we call the county lake, a public lake, uh, sitting on a picnic table by myself under the trees, anything to get out of the house. I refused to stay in the house because the house is where I get depressed. So I'm always, always, always on the go. So what helped you? What helped you since since well, everything? What's helped you keep going? Well, one of the things that was really hard with this all happening during the pandemic was, and I I haven't mentioned this, but I married to an emergency medicine physician. Oh, wow. And so who has had, who's been fighting cancers, but, um, when that all went down, I was sure everyone was going to die because I was, I really, because I thought, how am I going to keep, it was taking a lot of the elderly. My mom was elderly and then I knew she wasn't doing well. And then when we got her diagnosed, I mean, we had my husband walking, he wore his suit to work and he would walk in the back door and thank goodness our shower was right by our back door and he would change his clothes and we would keep them apart, you know, and, and it was scary at first. I, I, and I have kids in college. I thought, how am I going to have to have my mom move in and keep this illness? Somehow we managed, she never got COVID. My husband never got COVID till after, so we were blessed somehow, um, but we were, it was a very, very hard time. And yeah, it's like everybody went in and then everybody came out and I felt like we were still in <laughs> because by that time she was bedridden. So it, it, it has been a strange, it has been a strange time, but like you said, little by little, it, you do feel yourself coming out of that grief. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I didn't mention today is my mother's birthday. She would have been 82 today. And so that was one reason that I selected this day. So happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, Um, Bobette. Yes. And, and we've had those sweet experiences Um, as much as I want her back. And I literally, it was a physical ache. Um, The moment she passed away, my brother cued jump (laughs) Van Halen's jump. Oh, yes. One needs to go read those lyrics because they are so good for the situation of leaving ALS behind and jumping out of your body. And so listen to those lyrics because they might as well jump. It's one of my favorite ones. You might as well jump. Yep. And I played that when I went skydiving after Bill died. 
I yeah. started doing things I always wanted to do, and that includes skydiving, which I love. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, That's cool. Yeah. And and so, yeah, that it it's hard, but I'm we're feeling that recovery. We're getting organized, um, and we're you know we're moving we're moving forward. And what I've noticed is the physical pain is going away. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't in the beginning. It is a physical. It is, it is a true heartache and, and it's hard. Cause you know, like some of the other people in the family weren't, um, you know, like, like Wyatt said, he was happy. And, um, but when you're the caregiver, it, it, it is hardest on you. It just it really is. It really is. And you have to do what you can to, to just hold on, to just hold on. You, you do. And I don't, you know, um, and those around caregivers need to understand mm-hmm. that they need to be supportive and helpful too. And I, and we had wonderful support. I I have the most wonderful family and friends. They have been so wonderful. So I've been blessed in that way. And I know not everybody has that, but keep reaching out till you find those people. You have to. I mean, we've we felt pretty alone, even though we had friends and a great church family that came to our house for uh, Bible studies uh, every other week and made sure we had food and all of that. I'm so grateful for it. But as far as having um, actual support, support, uh, it was a while before that kind of happened, but um, it is, I agree with you. I, People need to, people need to reach out, but you know, people tend to pull away. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. People are uncomfortable facing their own mortality yes. and you can't be around an ALS patient usually without really thinking about, oh my gosh, what if that happens to me or someone in my family? And people don't like to deal with that. I will say that once people started helping my husband and sitting with him for 30 minutes to an hour, so my daughter and I could go to Barnes and Noble and get in a comfy chair and read a book or get a drink or maybe even go to a movie for two hours. It was such a gift to get to do those things. Once people started being around him and realized that they left with a big smile on their face and laughing because he found a way to entertain them (laughs) one way or the other, uh, we started having more people. Even one of my bosses came and sat with my, my husband for me. I mean, so once that happens, you have great family. We, we have a good family, but we had great support from our church and, um, that is so helpful, you know, so important. And it's so helpful to have that. And I think your message to others is, you know, if they're listening and they're, they're not dealing with ALS personally, we would hope that they would reach out to others who are dealing with ALS. What would you tell uh, caregivers now who are like you have recently lost or lost someone even longer ago, but what would you tell them is your best advice for picking up the pieces and continuing forward. You and Wyatt both, I'd like to hear from both of you, a young perspective and the daughter. Um, Like I said, um, I learned a lot from the entire experience and I felt a lot of relief. Um, I actually was going through a really hard time when it was all happening and it was because I was, I was in a failing relationship. I was taking some of the most difficult, you know, upper division chemistry classes I'd ever taken. 
and and you know my grandma was passing and i think that i think dad recently like during that time just got diagnosed again um it was a lot and i uh because of my relationship thing i kind of felt um in a state of giving up with myself um it was i was really struggling and my grandma at one point i remember just asking her for relationship advice because she actually went through a divorce herself um I can't remember all of the details, but it was extremely hard for her. And she went through a similar thing where she kind of gave up. And I remember just being like, you know, why am I not good enough for them? And I just remember her being like, why are they not better for you? There you go. What makes you deserve less than the next person? Um, My grandma really taught me to believe in myself and to love myself and made me realize that you know, like all the things that I was doing were good and that, you know, I had some, I had better qualities in myself than I thought. So I'll be honest, picking, picking up after she passed, I, I've actually lived a lot better of a life since she's been gone because of what she taught me. What um, a gift. That's a gift. Ab- absolutely. Uh, I, I only think the road has gone up for me now. I will never be able to fully understand what it's like to be the caregiver or be my mom because like I, if my, if my, if it was my mom, I would be totally different. I would be, it would be much. I've actually thought about the situation and if it was my mom and at some point when, or if it will be my mom and that will be really hard for me. I'm sure you'll step up to the plate if you ever have to, I can tell that you would, you would be, fabulous and then you would deal with the after effects honorably as well well and and one thing to add to what he was dealing with at that time is he was also dealing with his own mother who was struggling to get through everything and and that's why he really became he just held me up he just what do you need mom what do you need and you know I'm my other children were helpful and helped where they could could but um, Wyatt really stepped up and, and my husband, my husband, one of the one most wonderful things that my husband did was, um, my mom was also, uh, very well-versed in the scriptures and my husband is as well. And so he said, she couldn't go to church. He would, um, read, prepare lessons for her every week and they would sit and discuss the scriptures. And that meant so much to her. Um, yeah. So, um, one other thing I just wanted to, to throw out and then I'll talk about how I've moved on. Um, and what I've learned is this is just something that struck me. People who have ALS, one of the only things they can really do is watch TV, Mm -hmm. um, or, or listen, um, because they can, you know, and boy, I just became so grateful for, actors and um, (laughs) particularly like the Hallmark channel. And so I don't know if this will ever fall on anyone's words, but those people in that career, in that industry, they probably have no idea how they are literally a lifeline to people who have ALS because it's one of, you know, people with ALS can't turn a page, you know, and, and so it's the one way that they can really transform and help them 
um, escape. Right. And so I just became very grateful for that. Um, and also like silly things. We used to watch the game shows that would challenge her mind. I think there was one called America says, but anyway, so that's <laughs> just something that's just a little, that just struck me of, wow, you know, we don't think of that industry in that way often. And, and I, if there's any actors or anyone listening, you really do a great service to people who are, who are bedridden and even more, you know, it's a lot of shows that are hard to watch now because yeah kind of take you back yeah. oh yeah there's some i can't watch awesome. that he loved to watch uh, yeah. duck, duck dynasty was his thing <laughs> and we, we actually met them probably a couple of years before he passed away when we went to uh wow. an outing and they came in our area and i borrowed a van that had been ours but i donated it to another family once bill went to um the nursing home when I got where I could care for him anymore, but I would borrow the van back back and go pick him up and take him uh-huh. to different things. I took him to the beach. I took him to church. Oh. I took, yeah, And I took him to this thing where the duck dynasty guys were at. They came over and met him and he loved them. And eventually we had to stop watching though, because he would laugh so hard. He would go into serious oh. chokes. Mm. I still can't watch duck dynasty because it brings that's it. that PTSD thing going on, you know, and, but, and uh, there is things that it's okay to move on from. Oh, it's, sure. And yeah. you have to, you have it's to, one of those don't get, get stuck. Yourself don't get stuck. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to get stuck. That's well said. So, and as, as far as it, it's just even been in the last couple months that I've really felt, cause I'm about nine months out mm-hmm. that I've really felt that weight and burden and trying to find, and a lot of it was just getting things done and sold. And like, I just, this few days ago, sold the wheelchair van. So it's just, there's just so much to do to, to help. And then there's so much to unwind. Um, and it takes a while. It takes it's like a, a tight rubber band that's been round mm-hmm. really tight. And all of a sudden it's released. That's, and then you're just like, whoa, what just happened? And it takes a while to kind of grab the rubber band and go, okay, <laughs> I'm not wound so tight anymore. So. Yeah. And everybody deals with it differently. Um, right. some people want to just, and that's okay. Some people want to just remove things completely. Like in the very beginning, I had a twin bed in there with her bed and my brother like put it up, folded it up. And I'm like, no, 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 put it back. <laughs> because I spent a lot of time just laying in that room where I had been sleeping and it was comforting. And I got to the point where I didn't need to go in there right. anymore for comfort. And so it well, is, you didn't get stuck. You, you moved on, you did what you needed nope. and then you moved on. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and with me, Bill had been in the facility for almost three years, I think when he passed away. So I had already kind of gotten into my own place, um, where I'm at now. And, uh, it's all my stuff in here. Uh, he actually never came here. So I'm not surrounded by his chair or a bed that we shared. It's all just my stuff. Um, I do, I still cannot after five and a half years, I cannot go with the rubber bay containers where his clothes are. Can't do it. Accidentally opened it the other day in the storage building, looking for something else after my mom passed away. And I popped open this lid because it's not labeled. Oh, and it was all his shirts, his graphic tees and all that that he loved and his hats. And I can still smell him. I had to slam that lid back on there. I still I still can't. I can't do that. 
but I can't have that in my house. That sits out there nice and safe in a nice storage building. It's dry. Uh, I may never be able to do it. I don't know. I can't yet. I still can't. So everything well, you, in here is mine, just mine. You and have, it helps. You have to give yourself the grace to heal. And oh, yeah. I tell myself a lot. It's okay. You, you're okay. <laughs> You'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, doing this podcast, this se- this first season of this uh, podcast is is actually helping. It's uh, allowing me to talk to others and find new friends. And I, I'm hoping that it helps you and the other people too, yes. just to kind of flesh and talk things out because it has certainly helped me. And I hope it will help others who are listening. We're being listened to in nine countries now. So that's pretty awesome. That's Hello, cool. everyone. <laughs> Yay. So um, happy family. Well, not necessarily happy, but well, <laughs> but you know, but I, I am happy. And it took me a while not to feel guilty to say I'm happy. I am happy now, but it took me a while. It took, yeah. it took a while. It took a while um, to get to that point. I don't really feel guilty Like I anymore. said, we we get on an elevator and go to our new destination. And at some mm-hmm. point, I, I, I will say we have had some tender mercies, tender things. You know, my mom said, I'm going to send you squirrels and I'm going to send you pennies from heaven. And um, when we had her services, I really honored her uh organ playing. I had a very kind man who had recently lost his mother play the organ for us. And that was really wonderful. And in the church, as we were leaving, I didn't see it, but there's a video of it. There was a morning dove in the church and it, it flew out with my friend who sang my mom's favorite song. And, you know, then as we were traveling, cause we took her from Idaho to Nebraska, she was cremated and we took her urn and and we just kept seeing morning doves all on the way. And, and then we've found, we've all found pennies and, um, you know, I've I've had some interesting squirrel interactions. Yes. We've seen squirrels. I believe that our loved ones are able to somehow contact us. I, I, I have moments. My, uh, my thing is four, four, 13 or four 31, four 13 is actually my birthday. Uh Uh-huh. But I can, I will wake up from a dead sleep in the middle of the night and look over at my clock. It'll be 413 or it'll be 431. I can be going somewhere and it'll be on my clock in my car or I'll be at work. And those are the times that I tend to just suddenly look up. It's not planned. So I decided that that's just when he somehow figured out how to contact me. And you should start I, just I when someone asks you what time it is, you should just say four thirteen, and they're like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, I go. <laughs> no, I'll just I, say, "Hey, I that's what it's gonna be." Well, I'll, I'll share this with you because I've been sharing this lately, and I don't mind sharing it with the world because I think it's pretty cool. Um, when my mom passed away right after Christmas, um, just a couple weeks ago. Um, she was really struggling. I think she didn't want to leave her girls. My sister and I didn't leave her bedside probably for 48 straight hours, but she was really struggling there at the end. Like, it's like, she just wouldn't quite let go. Mm-hmm. And, um, we didn't, we wouldn't sleep. We just were afraid to sleep, but, uh, both of us had kind of dozed off. And all of a sudden I heard a very loud male voice saying, Jan, she's gone. And I jerked open. I looked at my sister. I said, did you just say mom is gone? But that was a man's voice. She goes, no. And so my head kind of bobbled down. I was sitting in a wheelchair. She's sitting in another chair in the room. And um, I finally just, I got up and walked over to the bed and mom 
you know, we hadn't seen her eyes in a couple of days at this point, but I was just rubbing her hand saying, it's okay, mom, you know, it's okay for you to go. And I turned around and looked at my sister and started walking toward her. And I looked at my phone. I said, well, it's 431. So Bill's here. Hey, Bill. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, Bill, I said, mom's really having a hard time crossing over. Could you kind of take her home for us? My sister said, she just took those last three breaths and I took the, I turned and looked at mom and her eyes open. She was gone in that second and it was 431. Wow. And it was 431. I, so I, I like to say, and I have chills all over my body again. I, I really believe, believe somehow my husband who loved my mom, I believe somehow he helped her go ahead and let go and go home to God. I, I really do. I so, and I'm literally covered in chill pops right now. <laughs> well, and, and we had a similar experience, you know, my mom, when it got near the end and she really was, you know, a little fearful. And I said, mom, I want you to think of one thing. My mom had lost her father to a drowning. He drowned when she was 35. Mm -hmm. And then my mom had lost the baby just a couple of years before that. And I said, when you get scared, I want you to think of one thing only. And I said, how long has it been since you've seen your father? And, you know, she had lost her mom, her mom lived to be 89, but I said, how long has it been? And she said almost 60 years, you know? And I said, then when you get scared, you think of one and only thing you are going to see your dad. Yeah. And I do believe that. And that really calmed her. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I, I do, I felt like there was a crowd just waiting there to embrace. Oh, yeah. Me. I feel like my dad was there. I feel like my stepdad, uh, mom and dad were married 45 years when my dad passed away. Oh. And um, two years later, she married my stepdad and uh, his name was Bill too. And uh, he died back in 2013 of cancer. And uh, I just feel like they were all there waiting for mom. And, um, yeah. along with, you know, I kept telling her, I'd whisper in her ear, I'd go and, and mom, you've got, you know, four grandchildren that are waiting to meet you and, you know, Bill will be there. And um, I just feel like they were all there. I feel like when Bill closed his eyes the last time I used to tell people, I said, well, he closed his eyes here, but he opened his eyes. When he opened his eyes, he was in heaven. So that's the way I look at it. And, right. um, you know, it just, those kind of things keep me going. I, I know I'm going to see him again one day. And I think he'd be proud of all the things I've done since he's been gone. I've kept on keeping on just like you told me to and um yeah and I, I feel that's what they want us to do too of course and your mom I'm sure would be so proud of everything that you've accomplished since then and she'd be proud of Wyatt and what he's doing with school and I'm sure she's so thankful for everything you guys did while she was struggling with this awful disease and yeah yeah and, and you know, I did have great family support. My brother was able to come home and be there. And he was so, he was so helpful and wonderful. And he really helped us get through those last few weeks. And, and yeah. those are the tough I weeks, wanna, too, weren't they? Yeah, I do mm -hmm. want to definitely mention how much and, and her siblings too. It was, it was interesting because when it got close, she wanted to call all of her siblings and she was able in very broken words, but to say, I, I think I'm getting close. And that was very memorable. She and called that's her a blessing. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and wind things up. I have so enjoyed you guys being on life after that. I've enjoyed learning about your family and your mom. She just sounds fabulous. And I'm sure that I would have loved her if I'd known her on this <laughs> side of heaven. 
And uh, so Bobette or Grandma Bobby sounds like a wonderful person. And I'm glad you were blessed with the opportunity to take care of her during the time that you did. And now you can continue life with her wisdom because it sounds like she truly imparted a lot of wisdom on all of you, your whole entire family, and probably everyone and every student she ever had. I can imagine that she- Close to a thousand, we counted. Yeah, she's had an effect on everyone, I'm sure. I appreciate you saying like that it was a blessing to take care of her because it was. It was. was. It's a privilege, honestly. Isn't it a privilege? Uh, It's not a fun thing. It's hard and it's exhausting. And uh, But you know, these are people that we dearly love. So of course it was a privilege and a blessing to be the ones able to take care of them and to wash their feet (laughs) and the other parts, because it's not just anybody that gets to do that, you know? So with that said, I'm going to wrap up this episode. And I just really thank you guys again for coming on life after that and being so willing to share your story uh, with the world so that we can spread awareness about ALS itself and also about the needs of those who are caring for those with ALS and also how to uh, continue on afterwards and letting people know that you can, in fact, pick up the pieces and continue moving and you're early in your journey, but you're already doing that. And it's good to see that as well. So with that, we will say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. I mean, I, for a long time, I always had to mow my grandma's lawn. So that's kind of where my relationship with grandma Bobby started uh, in the summers and in the fall. And she would always pay me a very good wage because grandma <laughs> kind of always threw everybody money. Yeah. Grandmas um, do that. <laughs> yeah. On a school teacher budget. But uh, it was a lot because like my mom said, grandma Bobby was very prideful, not in a bad way, but in the sense that dignity, she, she just, she was like, I'm going to walk as long as I can and I'm going to stay in my own home and I'm going to work on my own garden and I'm going to, take care of myself and my dog for as long as I can. And it was, it was really interesting to learn that, you know, she had a disease that she no longer had control. She no longer had privacy and she no longer had self-sufficiency. She needed everything done for her. Um, That was hard for her. uh, It was. And, and I kind of just put myself in to her shoes and realized like, if I lost, you know, everything that I, we all are, you know, underappreciative of like, like walking or going to the bathroom by yourself or just being able to pull yourself out of bed in the morning. Um, I would hope that someone would be there to come pull me out of bed and take me to the bathroom and change the channel for me and get me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, it was a really good time too, because, you know, although I, I didn't have to do any of the the really intense things that we, you know, are hard to talk about. Yes. It was at a perfect time where I could lift her out of bed into the chair, take her to her chair to the living room, um, get everything that she needed. And I, I even, I even bathed her. Um, and it, we, I, you know, I, all you do is just be very respectful. You know, you just, it's kind of like being a nurse. Um, I'm trying to go into dentistry. So, you know, it's like caretaking. It's a little different, but um, I also just knew that my mom 
was really the only one that really took care of my grandma. Um, like I, like we all helped, but like my mom, she was the number one. My yeah. mom was her arms and legs, right, and everything else. Um, so it was just kind of relieving to me to give my mom a break, um, especially because, like, as a grandma, you know, you only get so many times to go take care of your new daughter, your new um, grandbaby, grand, grandbaby and daughter. <laughs> And especially, you know, when you're older, you know, my older sister was like, you know, you're, you're the grandma. I really want you to be here. Right. It's just like, you know, you don't really think about, oh, grandma, I forget grandma needs someone to walk and, and do every single thing for her. And that's just not, you know, that's all was on my mom's mind all the time. So. Right. That's right. I kind of knew it was interesting too, because it was around the 4th of July and I like back, back then I was a little bit more uh of a uh a, a 19 year old <laughs> extrovert yeah um so it was really hard to stay because a lot of my friends go up to McCall which is a, it's a place in Idaho that a lot of everyone goes up there on the 4th of July and everyone goes and gets together and parties and has a good time and um I of course was like I had to skip that because that's when the baby was born or around that time yeah and and he had a girlfriend who you know my my whole part of the story is a lot it's really <laughs> funny too but you know we talk you guys talk a lot about or we all talk a lot about how you know there was some divine intervention and a lot of the time I feel like uh I was kind of pulled away from the people that I was with thanks to my grandma because I realized there's more important things than your social life you know when especially when you know someone needs you because they 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 really don't have anything else to give. Well, and you, I mean, I have enormous respect for you. You sound like a very fine young man because everybody doesn't answer that call regardless of how much they might be pulled and you did. And so I think that's wonderful uh, that you were able to step up and, and do that. Um, I would like to ask both of you, I ask this of everybody that comes on, but you know, emotionally, where did you guys go when this first half of the diagnosis and as you went through the months as she became ill, how did you deal with your emotions or the things you were feeling or did you bury them and deal with them after the fact? That's a question for both of you. Well, first, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest as a, as the grandson and the teenager, um, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really think about it that hard. You know, you get that call and you're like, oh, that's terrible. Like grandma. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of learned how big of a deal it was over time, seeing how it affected my mom, how it affected my grandma, seeing grandma move in. Um, and then taking care of and that, that's you know, And that's just a part of maturing and growing up. And mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of other people would feel similar. But yeah, once you once you get more understanding of the situation it it's just odd because i don't know you just don't you don't think about the end of your life until you're there and you know coming from someone that you know i i hopefully have many years to come but it's it really teaches you how much you need to be grateful for right how many, 
aspects of life and life in general that you should be grateful for. And emotionally, it's it once you understand, it's really difficult. It does make and a disease like ALS does make you kind of re-examine things. It really does because you watch things kind of in slow motion and they're devastating. And uh, I know it changed a lot about the way I think and the way I feel and the way I approach things. And I've already I've buried four children. Mm. Plus my husband and my parents, et cetera, et cetera. And um each thing has changed me, but I have to tell you the whole ALS thing did quite a number on me emotionally. Um, I, I believe I have PTSD. You'll hear a lot of uh, widows or caretakers of uh, those with ALS that'll say, well, I feel like I have PTSD. I know I do. Uh, I can see a, a motorized wheelchair, somebody else in it, and I'm immediately back yeah. to to those um, days, or if I hear somebody choking or coughing in a restaurant, I'm immediately in choke mode. Oh no. Um, and it affects me. So what about, what about you guys, Carrie, what about you, your emotions and what do you think? Just to add on to what, as his mother, I did see a tremendous maturity in him. And it was also, my mother had a lot of wisdom and, and she was so good about sharing it in such a tender way. She would never get in your way of what you were planning or whatever, but she would just find a way to add her little gentle advice. And I really saw maturity in him. And um, like he said, just his focus on, on his education and things, and he's done very well. So that has been a little silver lining to that for us. Um, For me, I, I think I just kind of went into duty mode. Um, I remember early on, my mother just kept saying, I'm such a bird. Cause my mother was the one that never sat down till everybody else did. She just was go, go, go. <laughs> and she just kept saying, I'm such a burden. I'm da da da. And I finally said, okay, no more. You cannot say that anymore. We're not no more. And I was kind of firm with her. And I said, if we're not having fun, then we are not doing this right. We are going to laugh our way to the very bitter end. And we did. And so, you know, I just, I, I am someone who's um, optimistic and I do try to look for the, the bright things in life because like many people, we haven't had an easy life for us. It's just been one thing after another. Um, And, uh, we just decided we made it a big sign early on and we each wrote our favorite quotes on it, including my brother. And we just said, we're going to do this right. And one of the things my mother wanted on there was shut up and listen, (laughs) (laughs) which I loved because, you know, she was saying, be quiet and listen to God and listen to those around you who love you. And so after that moment, um, it was a joy. It was an honor. I was tired and a lot of my things didn't get done, but it, it was a joy to take care of her. And I always say, look for the silver lining. One of the silver linings is you can prepare. You can take those videos and photos and get all the stories and make recordings. And you do get a little bit of time to prepare that way. Um, 
when you say that, let me interject real quick. Did she ever lose her voice or were you able to, was she able to keep her voice the whole time? Uh, she kept her voice the whole time until maybe the last month. And then it was very hard for her to communicate. That's yeah, great. It was like a workout for her at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we have a funny video of her one time when she was starting to lose her voice and she, she was a little punchy from her nighttime meds and she was t- talking. One of the things I haven't said yet was my brother was stuck in Australia this whole time. He, oh, he wow. works in Australia and they couldn't leave the country. Well, they could leave, but then they couldn't get back. And that's oh, where his yeah. place of employment was. was. Yeah. So all this time we had to juggle too. when could he come home to see his, you know, mother and all of that thing. So during the pandemic, that was very hard. So we spent a lot of time FaceTiming with my brother. And one night she just was like, look, I can't scream. And she was trying to scream bloody murder and nothing would come out and she would just laugh. But um, yeah, back to also emotionally, it has affected me definitely. Um, For one, raising three, a daughter who rides horses and three sons, um, I already had PTSD. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure. I still tell them when they call me, they have to say, mom, everything's okay. And then tell me what they're going to tell wrong? me. What's <laughs> wrong? I'm like, I just need to see if you're cooking dinners or not. I'm just curious. <laughs> What's wrong? Um, but, but yeah, it definitely, um, you definitely have dreams or there's a lot of trauma that, um, it is traumatic. It's traumatic watching someone die and it does affect you and it, it affects everything about you. Yeah, it does. It does. Hard. Very so, hard. So what we're going to do is we'll end this episode and I want to invite everyone to come back for the next episode to hear the other part of Carrie and Wyatt's story about Bobette or Grandma Bobby uh, in our next episode. I want to thank you guys for being here and uh, we'll see everyone next time on Life After That. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So welcome back again, Carrie and Wyatt. Uh, Would you like to kind of review or share some other things uh, that you started talking about in the previous episode before we go forward with the after ALS? Sure. Um, I think I can add just kind of from the time that my, my mom was no longer able to walk, um, our journey through all the devices and equipment and the scramble to get them. Um, I think overall, the first thing I want to say about that is there is a not enough financial assistance to help those who have ALS you have to so quickly scramble for all the equipment that you need. It is very expensive. Um, Pretty much about the only thing the insurance will cover is your wheelchair (laughs) and not even all of it. Mm -hmm. And and then they fight you to, to even get it because you have to be a certain level of disabled. You're talking about the electric chair? The no, chair? the the actual permobile wheelchair. Mm. Yeah. We and actually fought for my husband's. He had had his chair for three and a half years, couldn't walk, only could use one arm and one hand. And they literally tried to take his wheelchair back. Wow. And yeah. Uh, they, it, ours was ordered and it came in and um, then the insurance kept denying it. And I do have to give a shout out to Norco 
in Boise, Idaho, because they said, we will not come take it back if we have to cover it ourselves. And um, I just thought that was so amazing. And then of yes. course get covered, but yeah, that was a good day because I was so stressed. How are we going to take it away now? And, but, but we had to scramble for ramps online that took a while, a wheelchair van, just so we could still get out. I mean, we yeah. bars. I, and- I remember too, I had to me and my brother and my mom together, we built the ramp and it was, it wasn't super difficult, but it was, it was. Cause there were, you can't buy them brand new. They're too expensive. Yeah, and right. Paying someone else, you know, I don't care. I don't care remember how much it costs, but then you got to pay someone else to set it up unless you can do it yourself. So unless you have two, you know, 19, two 20, 20 year old, year old sons, boys that'll like- build it for you. And I do have to add that there Without was a arguing. there was a couple arguments where they were actually wrestling in the yard. <laughs> I know how to build it better than you. Do. I look out the window and they're hustling in the yard. And but not, not they too, got built. We also, I also, with my brother, we had to fly out to Arizona. Yeah. To pick up the van. Yeah, it was drive a, that it was a fifteen hours affair. home too. So so we kind of went through um, the various stages, you know, where you get your wheelchair and you can still go out and we would get my mom in the wheelchair and we'd go to the zoo with the family or would, um, we would go through drive-throughs. My mom loved Chick-fil-A and, um, we just, you know, there was, there was a period of time where we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then it just got to the point where it was too exhausting and, you know, you just slowly, um, kind of slide down the hill, but, but we had the lift chair and we had the, uh, the bed that lifted up as many listeners may know with ALS, you can't lay them flat. Right. They can't breathe. Um, and so, you know, you, they've got to be in a recline to sleep. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my thing there is, is there's just not enough funding. And if there's any way we can ever help promote more funding for equipment um, and, and assistance, um, you know, people who live on second stories, um, we were lucky to, I just don't know how some people accommodate. I don't either. I don't, um, either. I, don't I really don't. And, but yeah. organizations like the Steve Gleason foundation is wonderful. They helped yeah. us some. Yeah, they they helped us with the with the wheelchair a little bit, and then also the Evergreen chapter here in the Northwest Pacific Northwest um, gave us a, a small stipend for some equipment. Um, since I'm kind of talking about the different stages, when I'll just interject this, my thoughts are kind of all over the place. It's okay. When we first got diagnosed, when she first got diagnosed. I kind of felt like we were on a train that is going to crash. We don't know when it's going to crash. We just know that it's going to crash and we know there's going to be survivors and casualties. And that's kind of how it felt in the beginning of just the scramble of getting what we needed and the physicians lined up and all of that. And then as time went on caring for someone with ALS, I kind of felt like it changed to you're in the top of a building um, and you need, and you get to enjoy the view up there. And then at some point it's time to get on the elevator and you have to go down to the next floor and then you get to explore that floor and you, you try to make the best of that floor, but there's no going back to the top. And then at some point it's time to get on the elevator and go to the next floor until eventually 
you get to the ground floor and you have to exit the building, the pals and the cows, the, the patient with ALS and the caregiver with ALS. And you go into separate buildings and you go back up the elevator. And I think, you know, that, that to me is what it changed and it could be a beautiful thing. And you just had to find the joy and the beauty on each floor and know that you could endure the next time it was time to get in the elevator. I, I love that analogy. I've never heard it put that way. I, I totally identify with that runaway train part and also rushing at the top to live life and do as much as you can pack in while you still can. And uh, then you have the loss. And I think that's one thing I always like to convey uh, to people who might be listening that are in our world, aren't in the ALS world that, you know, unfortunately, that elevator is slowly going down the whole time. You're yeah. you're experiencing usually loss of some sort every single day. Yeah. Um, sometimes you skip a floor or two, I'd like to say. Yes, what, I what think that's very true. Yeah. And and the elevator, how long you stay, you could stay on one floor much longer than on the next floor. Um, and so I've counseled a lot of people who um, have just that I've met online and things because I can see their deer in the headlights and they're on the train. And I've, and I've told them, take a big, deep breath, you know, have your hour in the morning where you kick and scream and yell, but then get back to work and, and look for the silver lining, look for the beauty, because if you go to your new floor and all you are that whole time you're on that floor is I, I, I'm not on the top floor anymore. You're wasting time. And right. hard as it is, it only goes in one direction and you gotta, you gotta look for the silver lining. Uh, that, uh, and I think I may say this in every episode, I don't know, because it's what stuck with me from my husband. He was always a very positive person. Now he would break down occasionally. I think he broke down less than three times in those years with me, but his thing was keep on keeping on smile, be happy. Um, yeah. and, and a man uh, visited him in the hospital one time when he had to go in for things like his GI system was shutting down. I can't remember. There were so many. I literally can't remember now. And I remember, though, the guy asked him, Bill, why do you always smile? You can't talk. You can't uh, you can't eat because he had just found out he had to get a feeding tube. That's the one thing we did do in Vesa was the feeding tube. You can't eat, you can't talk, you can't walk. Why are you so happy? I just don't understand. And this was a somewhat of a depressed young man. And Bill spelled out on his little word chart because his eyes were heavily affected. So the eye gaze never worked for him. So he spelled out with his little finger on his chart. Uh, what would being mad or sad do for me? He was just like, what would it do for me? I'd rather be happy and make you smile. And that's what he did until right before he died. That's what he did. He smiled. Uh, he laughed sometimes and choked, but he laughed. And he tried really hard to find something to be joyful about every day. And his message to me and our kids was keep on keeping on, be happy, you know, keep, just find that silver lining, just like what you're saying right here. So I really um, connect with what you're saying there. And I think actually a lot of people would connect with that. Cause if you let uh, the sadness of it all, it'll overwhelm you every single day. If you don't find that silver lining literally every day so that you can keep going. Wouldn't you yeah. think that's absolutely, you know, uh, just a couple thoughts. Um, 
I loved what you said about what your husband would say. My, my mom's name ended in E-T-T-E and Bobette. And she would say, Bobette, Bob endure to the end. And that was kind of her motto that she was going to endure to the end. Um, The other thing I want to say too, is through this community, which is, I, I tell people, you will not meet finer people than the ALS community because they get it. Yep. They get it in life more than most people. And that is another part of the silver lining is you really truly find out what is important and what isn't. And, um, one of my friends that I have met, um, her name is Brandy and she has ALS and she is in a facility and, and it's away from her family. Um, and anyway, she does this most amazing artwork with her eyes and we've become online friends and, you know, she's very frank, you know, that's one thing about people with ALS. Most of yeah. them will tell you how it really is. Cause you know, and which is great. Cause it spreads awareness, but she said, if I have to be a decoration in the room, then I'm going to be the most beautiful decoration there is. And I can't tell you how life changing, Yeah, you know, it's one of those little morsels in life where you go, Hmm. Oh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can name those people who've really said something that has really inspired you. And yeah. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. It so, is. yeah, the positivity goes a long way. And uh, my mother did stay very positive. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I know she shed a lot of tears. I think there's that dynamic, too, um, especially when it's a mother, child, child caregiver is, you know, I noticed she would talk to her sisters and I sometimes would stand outside the door and listen because she would tell them things that she needed, how she was feeling or what her needs were that she wouldn't tell me because she was always trying to protect me. Because she was her mother. You don't have to protect me. You don't have to protect me. Um, Another thing I do want to say is that for those who are going through this process, um, you and I kind of talked about it off camera please do not be afraid to use assistive devices. A fall is worse than an assistive device. The assistive device, whether it's a walker or a wheelchair actually gives you more freedom and safety and longevity. And also for some reason, that darn hospital bed is just so hard to switch to. And my mom fought that tooth and nail. And then when she finally got to the point where we had no choice, she was actually so relieved. It was so much easier. It was more comfortable. It was, it was easier for the caregivers, me, you know, because you can raise it and lower it. And same thing when the Hoyer lift, she, she fought it. And once we were comfortable, cause it's very scary cause they're very vulnerable. Yes. You know, they have no control whatsoever. And of being in that. And, you know, you're relying on this device to suspend you with gravity. But once, once we did that and got used to it and we did, we would pray down the hallway with her when the boys would help me get her in and would take her to the living room and <laughs> called it her hammock. And yeah, it, it was. I swung on it a couple of times. Yeah. And also for those in the community, if you get stuck, reach out and say, what do I do about this? Like, you know, we got a lot of hints from our home health care nurse of, 
pull sheets and how to pull the sheet and how to switch the sheet and how to bathroom and how to save money. Yeah. And, and yeah, even how to save money and how to do things. And, um, there's just so much help in the community to get your questions answered. Yes. Um, And I think, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a home health aide or a hospice or a doctor or anybody who actually has experience with ALS, it's yeah. kind of rare, although it seems like it's becoming less rare. Yeah. Um, but if you have someone that has any knowledge, that's wonderful. And for those who don't have anyone in the medical community, I just really want to encourage them to meet exactly like we have through the online uh, support groups. I mean, before I became uh, a cow, a caretaker of ALS widow, and a part of those groups, I was in the ALS caregivers group. And even though we had family members who had had ALS, um, the family was very private and we really didn't, there wasn't a lot of talking and conversing going on. So I got the majority of my knowledge and my aid through that online private mm-hmm. uh, ALS caregivers group. And I, I just, it makes me sad to think there may be people and I know there are people out there who are going through this alone in the mm-hmm. dark without any support from anybody that knows really what's going on. And so anybody listening to this, um, I'm sure Carrie would agree and Wyatt as well, that we would encourage you to get involved with a support group. And if there's not one local that's specific for ALS, then please get on Facebook. The groups are private. Um, You can get on there and talk about anything and ask about anything and get the help that you need. And Um, I have several dear friends that I've never met. Yeah, and, same here, same here, but yeah, I'm meeting a lot through the podcast. I now. call them, I call them my sisters in, in ALS because whether, and some have ALS and some are caregivers, but we're all in this, we're one big happy family. Yes. If this, I'm sorry if you have to join the group, but if you do, there's, it's a good, good group of people. Yeah. When we're welcoming new people in any of those groups, I'm always like, I'm so sorry to have to welcome you to this group, but welcome and let us know what we can do for you. Um, yeah. Because we don't want anybody to have to join our groups, but the fact is, is people do every day. And I, it seems like every day more and more are coming in. And to me, the patients are getting younger. I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of mixed thoughts about ALS and where it's coming from. And I just, I don't consider it a rare disease. I I don't, I just have seen too much of it. I, how can it be rare? I can name probably 40 people that have had it. And I'm like, why? (laughs) So, yeah. So um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so as we're transitioning into the after, um, I just want to talk about her passing real quick. It, you know, that's the one thing that is such a huge fear. It is such a huge fear of when it's going to happen. How's it going to happen? And, you know, am I going to be there? Is it going to, is there going to be suffering? Your mind goes to a lot of that. And one thing I did take comfort in is that I noticed on the Facebook groups that everyone said passed with peace and maybe those who didn't, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's a str- it's different for everybody, but I took comfort in that. And I will say it was a very peaceful, um, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was peaceful. And 
So don't have those fears. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not peaceful, my husband's was not peaceful. It was actually a very, very difficult uh, death. And uh, he had seizures and convulsions um, mm-hmm. because he had developed an infection and became septic. So there oh. were reasons for it, but it was really horrible. And I literally had to get counseling to deal with what I witnessed and went through. So, but the vast majority of people that I know have exactly what you've said. They've, they've yes. gone to sleep. It's been peaceful. And, um, and with, and, and with assistance of the hospice care team. Oh, of course. Of course. You. So that definitely, you know, hopefully most people can utilize a good hospice care team. Well, um, I, I, uh, first of all, the story about your mom in the last episode in this one, she just sounds like a remarkable person. And she impressed upon you and Wyatt and the rest of your family how to be positive in life and to keep on going and to find that silver lining. And I find that to be very inspirational. So if you don't mind, just spend a couple of minutes or a few minutes talking about after your mom passed and how those ideals perhaps helped you guys to pick up the pieces and move on and and how how you've done that since your mom passed away, what how it changed the dynamics in the house. And what you would suggest to other people um, for after their ALS journey is over. Do you want to start? Kind of like how, or I guess a part of, remember earlier when my mom said um, the running, the running away, runaway train. Right. Um, I cried. I had a big, long cry, you know, once or twice early on um once while once randomly i remember i kind of just you know it kind of finally suddenly hits you that you know this is terminal there's not much time left mm-hmm. and it's kind of like someone telling you they died right. but they're, they're still there because there's you know it's a long process that right. the, the process of als is a really long process of dying as as harsh as that sounds it's 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 hard but it's true but it's true. Um, the second time I cried was taking care of her. Um, I think I, I think I gave her a bath and, you know, I was like, I washed her feet and that was really, um, opening, you know, uh, cause you just, you just don't think about someday someone having to wash your feet. You know? Right. Um, when she passed away, I felt more relief because seeing how she was in the end just wasn't how she would have wanted to pass away. Right. She would have wanted to live the rest of her days. And I just, I felt relief. I felt like she moved on and, and finally was able to sit at the piano and play again and is able to paint again and able to do all of the things she enjoyed. And I I felt more relief than I felt sad because I, I kind of already was prepared mm-hmm. and, I, and I already felt the loss and the sadness, but I, I felt relief. I felt happy for her. Yeah, and I, I can relate to that as well. I was relieved, but the grief of missing my husband of 34 years really took me down for a while, but I was relieved that he got to be the vivacious human being or 
whatever we are when we leave here. I felt like in heaven, he's running, he's playing volleyball, he's Absolutely. playing football, he's fishing, he's doing all the things. And he's with our four children. Absolutely. And, you know, and she, and she knows how much I've learned from the experience and how yeah. much we all have learned from the experience yeah. that it, it did. The experience didn't go to waste. That's for sure. Great. I, and I have several, several thoughts. Um, I agree with him when it got down. First of all, I got to say this about my mother. My mother was my best friend. Um, I said in my funeral talk of the 20,000 days that I have lived on the planet, there's probably 20 that I did not speak to my mother. Mm -hmm. And um, we just talked every day and spent a lot of time together, especially these last years. Um, when we lived in the same town. So I was very, very close to my mother. Um, and then to watch that person that you're so close to, who's literally always been my backbone, watch her wither away and watch roles reverse. Um, I've, I've never lost a child. Um, but I think as a caregiver losing, when you care for someone as if they are a child, um, uh, and, and I don't mean mentally, she kept her, she was, she was, had the mind of a 30 year old, 30 year old bitter end. Um, but just, you know, you, you care for them and you're very protective. You're extremely protective of them. And um, so I think the loss, the first few days, I felt nothing but joy and then reality hit. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're a caregiver, 24 seven, you know, now you have to go back to your other life and you're not ready. And I mean, it, it was hard. It has been a hard year. And I, I, I got COVID finally, (laughs) we protected her so much. And then finally I got COVID after her services, got it at her services, which were six weeks later after she had passed away. And I hugged too many people and, um, (laughs) (laughs) and I got really, really, really sick. And I look back and that was probably a good time because I just had to be down and get through that. And then honestly, um, I, I don't know if it's depression or, you know, just the change or whatever, but I really had to work through, um, just lack of motivation. Um, and recently I read that, your, your brain actually will shut down to protect you. And I feel like I went through that. I definitely went through the stages of grief. And I, I, that's another thing I would give advice is in ALS, you kind of go through the stages of grief twice, if not more. Yeah. While they're alive. And then after, and in multiple orders and repeats, (laughs) Yeah, you, you, you grieve when you get the news through all those stages. And then really you grieve every floor of every deficit you now have, and then you have to grieve again. And it's different than someone just getting a phone call saying, Oh, this person passed away, which is also very sad, but you've put your whole life Mm -hmm. on hold to take care of this person. And now you got to figure out how one to live without them and two, how to organize and prioritize everything. Yeah. And you forget who you are. You kind of forget who you are. That's, that's what happened to me. I'm like, well, who am I? I was Mrs. Bill Murray for 30, almost 34 years. Who am I? I don't even know what to do anymore. I, and, and with you, you, you were taking care of your mom and she was almost like 
a child physically to you. So you're, you're 24 seven care. So all of a sudden they're going, I I get what you're saying. And you're not even a full year out from that lost. Well, and not only that, and not to get into other things, but my husband is also a four-time cancer survivor. Oh, wow. (laughs) Fighting chronic lymphoma. And both of his times when he has gone down were in between or during that time that we were taking care of her. And so, you know, there was a time, like I said, this young man has helped me not only with my mother, but with my father. So then you get done and, you know, and then you're so behind in everything, you know, behind in my business, behind in my house. And I've inherited this other household and you're, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. And you know, that's the one, a couple things that my mom, I would hear that advice that stuff can keep, put out the fires, you know? And so all of her wonderful advice always stuck with me. And I've, I've said to myself often, well, I know exactly what she would say. <laughs> so, and, and that's another thing, silver lining of ALS. I have noticed there's very few questions that I, you know, how, when you lose someone, you're like, oh, I wish I could ask them. I, there's very few questions I've come across because I asked everything. So, well, you know, you talked about your mind shuts down. I honestly think that's a gift from God. I I think that first year uh, and most of the people that I've talked to on this podcast so far um, have talked about the same thing. That first year, you're kind of in a fog. Uh, I went through the motions of living. I did my life. I started a new career. I did a lot of things, but honestly, I was in a fog the whole time. And I'm sorry to say you're about to start year two and it may be different because it wasn't your spouse, but something about year two, it just hits harder. It's almost like that reality really does set in, but um, it's also the year that I really took hold of my life. Something my mother taught me was nobody's going to give you a life. You're going to have to go out there and grab what you want. And uh, that and my husband's voices, her voice and his voice in my head is really what made me get up. So that's usually what I tell people, you know, hang on, hang on tight, yeah. bury, bury your head under the quilt if you need to for a little while, but don't get stuck. Don't stay in your house all the time. Don't, don't get stuck. To me, if you get stuck, you're not going to do well. You have to make yourself get up and go and do things. And uh, I would say, you guys started going through this in the pandemic and some people started recovery in the pandemic. And that had to be super hard in that isolation time. I never stayed at home. Even when we were in so-called lockdown, I was in my car going out to a, the County, what we call the County Lake, a public Lake, uh, sitting on a picnic table by myself under the trees, anything to get out of the house. I refused to stay in the house because the house is where I get depressed. So I'm always, always, always on the go. So what helped you? What helped you since, since everything, what's helped you keep going? Well, one of the things that was really hard with this all happening during the pandemic was, and I I haven't mentioned this, but I married to an emergency medicine physician. Oh, wow. And so who has had, who's been fighting cancers, but um, when that all went down, I was sure everyone was going to die because I was, I really, because I thought, how am I going to keep, it was taking a lot of the elderly. My mom was elderly and then I knew she wasn't doing well. And then when we got her diagnosed, I mean, we had my husband walking, he wore his suit to work and he would walk in the back door and thank goodness our shower was right by our back door and he would change his clothes and we would keep them apart, you know, and, and 
it was scary at first. I, I, and I have kids in college. I thought, how am I going to have to have my mom move in and keep this illness? Somehow we managed, she never got COVID. My husband never got COVID till after. So we were blessed somehow. Um, but we were, it was a very, very hard time. And yeah, it's like everybody went in and then everybody came out and I felt like we were still in <laughs> because by that time she was bedridden. So it, it, it has been a strange, it has been a strange time, but like you said, little by little, it, you do feel yourself coming out of that grief. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I didn't mention today is my mother's birthday. She would have been 82 today. And so that was one reason that I selected this day. So happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, um, Bobette. Yes. And, and we've had those sweet experiences um, as much as I want her back. And I literally, it was a physical ache. Um, the moment she passed away, my brother cued jump <laughs> Van Halen's jump. Oh and yes. One needs to go read those lyrics because they are so good for the situation of leaving ALS behind and jumping out of your body. And so listen to those lyrics because you they might just, as well jump. It's one of my favorite ones. You I, might I, as well jump. Yep. And I played that when I went skydiving after Bill died. I yeah. started doing things I always wanted to do. And that includes skydiving, which I love. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But, cool. yeah. And, and so, yeah, that it, it's hard, but I'm, we're feeling that recovery. We're getting organized. Um, and we're, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward. And what I've noticed is the physical pain is going away. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, in the beginning, it is a physical it is, it is a true heartache and, and it's hard. Cause you know, like some of the other people in the family weren't, um, you know, like, like Wyatt said, he was happy. And, um, but when you're the caregiver, it, it, it is hardest on you. It just it really is. It really is. And you have to do what you can to, to just hold on, to just hold on. You, you do. And I don't, you know, um, and those around caregivers need to understand mm -hmm. that they need to be supportive and helpful too. And I, and we had wonderful support. I I have the most wonderful family and friends. They have been so wonderful. So I've been blessed in that way. And I know not everybody has that, but keep reaching out till you find those people. You have <laughs> to. I mean, we've we felt pretty alone, even though we had friends and a great church family that came to our house for uh, Bible studies uh, every other week and made sure we had food and all of that. I'm so grateful for it. But as far as having um, actual support, support, uh, it was a while before that kind of happened. But um, it is. I agree with you. I, People need to, people need to reach out, but you know, people tend to pull away. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. People are uncomfortable facing their own mortality yes. and you can't be around an ALS patient usually without really thinking about, oh my gosh, what if that happens to me or someone in my family? And people don't like to deal with that. I will say that once people started helping my husband and sitting with him for 30 minutes to an hour, so my daughter and I could go to Barnes and Noble and get in a comfy chair and read a book or get a drink or maybe even go to a movie for two hours. It was such a gift to get to do those things. 
once people started being around him and realized that they left with a big smile on their face and laughing because he found a way to entertain them <laughs> one way or the other, uh, we started having more people. Even one of my bosses came and sat with my my husband for me. I mean, so once that happens, you have great family. We we have a good family, but we had great support from our church. And um, that is so helpful, you know, so important. And it's so helpful to have that. And I think your message to others is, you know, if they're listening and they're, they're not dealing with ALS personally, we would hope that they would reach out to others who are dealing with ALS. What would you tell uh, caregivers now who are like you, have recently lost or lost someone even longer ago, but what would you tell them is your best advice for picking up the pieces and continuing forward? You and Wyatt both, I'd like to hear from both of you, a young perspective and the daughter. Um. <clears throat> Like I said, um, I learned a lot from the entire experience and I felt a lot of relief. Um, I actually was going through a really hard time when it was all happening. And it was because I was, I was in a failing relationship. I was taking some of the most difficult, you know, upper division chemistry classes I'd ever taken. And, and, you know, my grandma was passing and I, I think that, I think dad recently, like during that time just got diagnosed again. Mm. Um, it was a lot. Yeah. And I, uh, because of my relationship thing, I kind of felt um, in a state of giving up with myself. Um, I, it was, I was really struggling. And my grandma at one point, I remember just asking her for relationship advice because she actually went through a divorce herself. Um, I can't remember all of the details, but it was extremely hard for her. And she went through a similar thing where she kind of gave up. And I remember just being like, you know, why am I not good enough for them? And I just remember her being like, why are they not better for you? There you go. What makes you deserve less than the next person? Um, she, my grandma really taught me to believe in myself and to love myself and made me realize that, you know, like all the things that I was doing were good and that, you know, I had some, I had better qualities in myself than I thought. So I'll be honest, picking, picking up after she passed, I, I've actually lived a lot better of a life since she's been gone because of what she taught me. What um, a gift. That's a gift. Absolutely. Uh, I, I only think the road has gone up for me. Now, I will never be able to fully understand what it's like to be the caregiver or be my mom because like I if my, if my if it was my mom, I would be totally different. I would be it would be much I've actually thought about the situation and if it was my mom and at some point when or if it will be my mom and that will be really hard for me. I'm sure you'll step up to the plate if you ever have to. I can oh, tell that you would. You would be fabulous, and then you would deal with the after effects honorably as well. Well, and Absolutely. and one thing to add to what he was dealing with at that time is he was also dealing with his own mother who was struggling to get through everything. And, and that's why he really became, he just held me up. He just, what do you need, mom? What do you need? And, you know, I'm, it, 
my other children were helpful and helped where they could, could, but, um, Wyatt really stepped up and, and my husband, my husband, one of the one most wonderful things that my husband did was, um, my mom was also uh, very well-versed in the scriptures and my husband is as well. And so he said she couldn't go to church. He would, um, read, prepare lessons for her every week and they would sit and discuss the scriptures. And that meant so much to her. Um, yeah. So, um, one other thing I just wanted to, to throw out and then I'll talk about how I've moved on. Um, and what I've learned is this is just something that struck me. People who have ALS, one of the only things they can really do is watch TV Mm-hmm. Um, or, or listen, um, because they can, you know, and boy, I just became so grateful for actors and, um, <laughs> particularly like the Hallmark channel. And so I don't know if this will ever fall on anyone's words, but those people in that career, in that industry, they probably have no idea how they are literally a lifeline to people who have ALS, because it's one of, you know, people with ALS can't turn a page, you know, and, and so it's the one way that they can really transform and help them, um, escape. And I just became very grateful for that. Um, and also like silly things. We used to watch the game shows that would challenge her mind. I think there was one called America says, but anyway, so that's (laughs) just something that's just a little, that just struck me of, wow, you know, we don't think of that industry in that way often. And, and I, if there's any actors or anyone listening, you really do a great service to people who are, are bedridden and even more, you know, it's a lot of shows that are hard to watch now because yeah kind of take you back yeah. oh yeah there's some i can't watch awesome. that he loved to watch uh, yeah. duck, duck dynasty was his name <laughs> and we, we actually met them probably a couple of years before he passed away when we went to uh wow. an outing and they came in our area and i borrowed a van that had been ours but i donated it to another family once bill went to um the nursing home when I got where I could care for him anymore, but I would borrow the van back back and go pick him up and take him to different things. I took him to the beach. I took him to church. Yeah. And I took him to this thing where the duck dynasty guys were at, they came over and met him and he loved them. And eventually we had to stop watching them because he would laugh so hard. He would go into serious chokes. I still can't watch duck dynasty because it brings that's it. that PTSD thing going on, you know, and, but, and uh, there is things that it's okay to move on from. Oh, it's, sure. And yeah. you have to, you have it's to, one of those, don't get, get stuck. Yourself don't get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to get stuck. That's well said. So, and as, as far as it's just even been in the last couple months that I've really felt, cause I'm about nine months out mm-hmm. that I've really felt that weight and burden and trying to find, and a lot of it was just, getting things done and sold. And like, I just, this few days ago, sold the wheelchair van. So it's just, there's just so much to do to, to help. And then there's so much to unwind. Um, and it takes a while. It takes it's like a, a tight rubber band that's been wound mm-hmm. really tight. And all of a sudden it's released. That's, and then you're just like, 
whoa, what just happened? And it takes a while to kind of grab the rubber band and go, okay, <laughs> I'm not wound so tight anymore. So. Yeah. And everybody deals with it differently. Um, right. some people want to just, and that's okay. Some people want to just remove things completely. Like in the very beginning, I had a twin bed in there with her bed and my brother like put it up, folded it up. And I'm like, no, 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 put it back. <laughs> because I spent a lot of time just laying in that room where I had been sleeping and it was comforting. And I got to the point where I didn't need to go in there right anymore for comfort and so it well, was, you didn't get stuck you you moved on you did what you needed nope. and then you moved on yeah so yeah. and and with me bill had been in the facility for almost three years i think when he passed away so i had already kind of gotten into my own place um where i'm at now and uh it's all my stuff in here uh he actually never came here. So yeah. I'm not surrounded by his chair or a yeah. bed that we shared. It's all just my stuff. Um, I do. I still cannot after five and a half years, I cannot go with the rubber bay containers where his clothes are. Can't do it. I accidentally opened it the other day in the storage building looking for something else after my mom passed away. And I popped open this lid because it's not labeled. Oh, and it was all his shirts, his graphic tees and all that that he loved and his hats. And I can still smell him. I had to slam that lid back on there. I still I still can't. I can't do that. But I can't have that in my house. That sits out there nice and safe in a nice storage building. It's dry. Uh, I may never be able to do it. I don't know. I can't yet. I still can't. So everything in here is mine. Just mine. You it have helps. You have to give yourself the grace to heal. And oh, yeah. I tell myself a lot. It's okay. You, you're okay. <laughs> You'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, doing this podcast, this se- this first season of this uh, podcast is, is actually helping. It's uh, allowing me to talk to others and find new friends. And I, I'm hoping that it helps you and the other people too, yes. just to kind of flesh and talk things out because it has certainly helped me. And I hope it will help others who are listening. We're being listened to in nine countries now. So that's pretty awesome. That's Hello, cool. everyone. <laughs> Yay. So um, happy family. Well, not necessarily happy, but well, <laughs> but you know, but I, family. I am happy. And it took me a while not to feel guilty to say I'm happy. I am happy now, but it took me a while. It took, yeah. it took a while. It took a while um, to get to that point. I don't really feel good. Like I said, we, we get on an elevator and go to our new destination. And at some point I, I, I will say we have had some tender mercies, tender things. You know, my mom said, I'm going to send you squirrels and I'm going to send you pennies from heaven. And um, when we had her services, I really honored her, uh, organ playing. I had a very kind man who had recently lost his mother play the organ for us. And that was really wonderful. And in the church, as we were leaving, I didn't see it, but there's a video of it. There was a morning dove in the church and it, it flew out with my friend who sang my mom's favorite song. And, you know, then as we were traveling, cause we took her from Idaho to Nebraska, she was cremated and we took her urn and and we just kept seeing morning doves all on the way. And, and then we found, we've all found pennies and, um, you know, I've, I've had some interesting squirrel interactions. Yes. We've seen squirrels. Hey, I believe that our loved ones are able to somehow contact us. I, I, I have I, moments. My, uh, 
my thing is 413 or 431. 413 is actually my birthday. Uh-huh. But I can, I will wake up from a dead sleep in the middle of the night and look over at my clock. It'll be 413 or it'll be 431. I can be going somewhere and it'll be on my clock in my car or I'll be at work. And those are the times that I tend to just suddenly look up. It's not planned. So I decided that that's just when he somehow figured out how to contact me. And you should start I, just, I when someone asks you what time it is, you should just say 413 and they're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I go, <laughs> no, it's, I'll just I, say, hey, I look, that's what it's going to be. Well, I'll, I'll share this with you because I've been sharing this lately and I don't mind sharing it with the world because I think it's pretty cool. Um, when my mom passed away right after Christmas, um, just a couple of weeks ago, um, she was really struggling. I think she didn't want to leave her girls. My sister and I didn't leave her bedside probably for 48 straight hours, but she was really struggling there at the end. Like it's like, she just wouldn't quite let go. Mm -hmm. And, um, we didn't, we wouldn't sleep. We just were afraid to sleep, but, uh, both of us had kind of dozed off. And all of a sudden I heard a very loud male voice saying, Jan, she's gone. And I jerked open. I looked at my sister. I said, did you just say mom is gone? But that was a man's voice. She goes, no. And so my head kind of bobbled down. I was sitting in a wheelchair. She's sitting in another chair in the room. And um, I finally just, I got up and walked over to the bed and mom, you know, we hadn't seen her eyes in a couple of days at this point, but I was just rubbing her head and saying, it's okay, mom, you know, it's okay for you to go. And I turned around and looked at my sister and started walking toward her. And I looked at my phone. I said, well, it's 431. So Bill's here. Hey, Bill. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, Bill, I said, mom's really having a hard time crossing over. Could you kind of take her home for us? My sister said, she just took those last three breaths. And I took the, I turned and looked at mom and her eyes open. She was gone in that second. And it was 431. Wow. And it was 431. I, so I, I like to say, and I have chills all over my body again. I, I really believe, believe somehow my husband who loved my mom, I believe somehow he helped her go ahead and let go and go home to God. I, I really do. I so, agree. and I'm literally covered in chill box right now. <laughs> well, and, and we had a similar experience, you know, my mom, when it got near the end and she really was, you know, a little fearful. And I said, mom, I want you to think of one thing. My mom had lost her father to a drowning he drowned when she was 35. Mm -hmm. And then my mom had lost the baby just a couple of years before that. And I said, when you get scared, I want you to think of one thing only. And I said, how long has it been since you've seen your father? And, you know, she had lost her mom, her mom lived to be 89, but I said, how long has it been? And she said almost 60 years, you know? And I said, then when you get scared, you think of one and only thing you are going to see your dad. And yeah. I do believe that. And that really calmed her. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I, I do. I felt like there was a crowd just waiting there to embrace. Oh, yeah. Her. I feel like my dad was there. I feel like my stepdad, uh, mom and dad were married 45 years when my dad passed oh. away. And um, two years later, she married my stepdad and uh, his name was Bill, too. And uh, he died back in 2013 of cancer. And uh, I just feel like they were all there waiting for mom. And um, yeah. along with, you know, I kept telling her, I'd whisper in her ear, I'd go, and, and mom, you've got, you know, four grandchildren that are waiting to meet you. And, you know, Bill will be there. And um, I just feel like they were all there. I feel like 
when Bill closed his eyes the last time I used to tell people, I said, well, he closed his eyes here, but he opened his eye when he opened his eyes, he was in heaven. So that's the way I look at it. And, um, you know, it just, those kind of things keep me going. I I know I'm going to see him again one day. And I think he'd be proud of all the things I've done since he's been gone. I've kept on keeping on just like he told me to. And, um, yeah, and I I feel that's what they want us to do too. Of course. And your mom, I'm sure, would be so proud of everything that you've accomplished since then. And she'd be proud of Wyatt and what he's doing with school. And I'm sure she's so thankful for everything you guys did while she was struggling with this awful disease. And yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I did have great family support. My brother was able to come home and be there. And he was so he was so helpful and wonderful and he really helped us get through those last few weeks. And, it, and yeah. those are the tough I weeks, wanna, too, weren't they? Yeah, I do mm-hmm. want to definitely mention how much and, and her siblings, too. It was it was interesting because when it got close, she wanted to call all of her siblings and she was able in very broken words. But to say, I, I think I'm getting close. And that was very memorable. She and called that's her a blessing. Friend. Yeah. 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 So we're going to go ahead and wind things up. I have so enjoyed you guys being on life after that. I've enjoyed learning about your family and your mom. She just sounds fabulous. And I'm sure that I would have loved her if I'd known her on this side of heaven. And uh, so Bobette or grandma Bobby sounds like a wonderful person. And I'm glad you were blessed with the opportunity to take care of her during the time that you did. And now you can continue life with her wisdom because it sounds like she truly imparted a lot of wisdom on all of you, your whole entire family and probably everyone and every student she ever had. I can imagine that she- Close to a thousand we counted. Yeah, she's had an effect on everyone, I'm sure. I appreciate you saying like that it was a blessing to take care of her because it was. It was, was. it's a privilege, honestly. Isn't it a privilege? Uh, it's not a fun thing. It's hard and it's exhausting. And, uh, but you know, these are people that we dearly love. So of course it was a privilege and a blessing to be the ones able to take care of them and to wash their feet (laughs) and the other parts, because it's not just anybody that gets to do that, you know? So with that said, I'm going to wrap up this episode. And I just really thank you guys again for coming a lot after that and being so willing to share your story uh, with the world so that we can spread awareness about ALS itself and also about the needs of those who are caring for those with ALS and also how to uh, continue on afterwards and letting people know that you can, in fact, pick up the pieces and continue moving and you're early in your journey, but you're already doing that. And it's good to see that as well. So with that, we will say goodbye. And we welcome all of you to come back again in two weeks for another story about a journey with ALS and how to survive afterwards.